Please do turn with me tonight to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 19. And our text really is just five words. What do I still lack? This is a young man, a young person, approaching the Lord Jesus Christ for a private conversation. When you think about the Bible, there are so many instances and recordings of individuals that met with Christ. Here's my first question tonight. Have you ever met with the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever had a personal encounter? Have you ever felt that he was speaking to you directly? I don't mean in a loud voice. I mean something so real and tangible where your need was touched and where you felt that there was a conversation that was so real with your own soul. We think of the woman at the well. That woman with such a desperate need, we've thought of her before and she met with Christ. And here we have a young man who comes and meets with the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16, chapter 19. Behold, look, one came and said unto him. He approached Christ. Have you been to Christ? Have you prayed to him? Have you asked him to reveal himself to you personally? There is very much to commend about this young man, as we shall consider. Sometimes, and I've done this, we've sat in a service like this and the preacher gets up to preach and we think, oh, this would be good for the person sat next to me or that person sat in front of me. But don't think of them tonight. We want the Lord to speak to us individually, to my soul, to your soul, just for these few moments. This is what this record is about. It's a conversation. It's a dialogue. It's got four clear phases that we shall look at and we shall consider. Well, the Gospels, several of them record this incident. It's here in Matthew 19, but it's also in Mark and it's in Luke. And when we put the pieces together, we call it the rich young ruler. But think of him as a young man. The word ruler means he worked in the synagogue and evidently he was very rich because he had so many possessions. Had he earned them? I don't know. Had he inherited them? Maybe. But he was very, very rich. But he was a young man. We've got young people here tonight. Will the Lord speak to you as a young person this evening? A young man meets the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at the things which are really very good about this young man. First of all, he knows who to go to. You go to an imam, you go to a priest, what good can they do? 
If you want to know of salvation, if you want to know of eternal life, that's what verse 9, 16 tells us about. He had a question, how can I go to heaven? In a sense, don't come to me. I can point you, but you need to go to Christ. And this man, he does just that. He recognizes that Christ is the person he needs to go and have a dialogue, a conversation with. Secondly, he knows there's something missing. And you know, so often people don't get that far. They're the comfortable middle class, as we call them. They have what they need. I'm okay, thanks. As we often get to hear when you give somebody a tract or you try to talk to them. But this young man, even though he seems to have so much, he knows there's something missing. So that's my title tonight. Something still missing. What's still missing in your life? Do you seem to have everything? And yet you haven't got the thing that really matters. This young man, he acknowledges it. He says, what good thing shall I do? We'll come back to that, that I may have. He hasn't got eternal life. He can't grasp it. He can't cling on to it. He can't say, I know my salvation is in Christ Jesus. And so he comes to Christ. There's something missing. We speak about a missing gap. We think of that in terms of evolution. How did we get here? And evolution can't explain the enormous gap from the Big Bang to intelligent life, the missing gap. Nothing can fill it, of course, because the world didn't evolve. There was intelligence in the beginning. That's why we're here today. We speak about the missing gap on the tube. You stand on the platform, and if you're not careful, there's something between you and the tube. Is there a missing gap for you? Between you and eternity? If you're not careful, one day you'll step off, and there'll be nothing there. No salvation, no saviour, nobody who's taken your sins away. So this young man, he recognises to go to Christ, he recognises that he doesn't have eternal life and that there is a missing gap, there's something else. He knows that death is not the end. Do you know many people have a fatalistic view of life? They view life as... Something that, well, when it's over, it's over. They imagine that there's nothing beyond, and yet we know that's not true. Why did the Egyptians build the pyramids? Because they knew there was an afterlife, and they, they wanted to hoard and take with them. Why do the Hindus have this view about the afterlife and those that believe in reincarnation? Because we know that death is not the end. That's why many people are fearful of death. What lies beyond the grave? 
This young man, he seems to have some understanding. There is an eternity. Death is not the end. My soul is immortal. It will live forever. The only question is, will it be with God? Which is far better. Or will it be away from God in hell? Which is indescribable. All the blessings and the comforts and the helps and the very presence of God removed. It's called torment. Gnashing of teeth. Everything where God is not. God removed every comfort. This young man, he doesn't know where he will spend eternity. Do you know? Can you honestly, in your heart tonight, don't look at the person next to you or think of them. Can you say, I know where I will be in eternity. I will be with my Savior, my Redeemer. So this young man. He knows these things. He knows he will not go to heaven. At that very moment, he does something about it. He's to be commended. There's lots wrong with his thinking and his approach, but in those things that we've considered, he's to be commended. So far, so good. But there's a great problem. What we might call a faulty theology. Theology, the study of God, of God's ways, the study of all things to do with life and eternity as described and revealed by God through particularly his son, Jesus Christ. And this is where he goes wrong. What good thing shall I do? Do you know that's the majority view? If you look at all the religions of the world, every single one except the religion of the Bible is about what I can do. What I can do to inherit eternal life. What I can do to please my God or my gods. This is where he goes wrong. Let's just imagine this. Imagine you're a husband just for one minute. And I trust this never happens. And you're unfaithful. Unfaithful to your wife. You commit adultery in a physical way. It's mentioned here in the passage later on. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And you go to your wife and you decide, well, it wouldn't be good. It wouldn't look good if I lost my wife. If she leaves me, divorces me, goes away, it would not look good on me. And so you say to her, just tell me. Tell me what I must do to get my life back. Tell me. Give me a list, 20 star jumps. Shave all my hair off my head, if I have any. Give money to charity. What good would that do? You've been unfaithful. You've lied. 
You've stolen. You've been disloyal. You've murdered her life because you've taken something away from her that was precious. What good would charity work do? What good would star jumps and shaving hair? There's nothing you can do because you've sinned. You've broken her love. You've been unfaithful. What can put that right? You see, the theology of this man is just like a person who's done that to his dear wife. This man, he's misunderstood. He doesn't know that God is holy. You can't just cancel out sin by working in a charity shop. You can't get rid of what you've done and what you've been by some physical exercise or endeavor. Sin is serious. Sin must be punished. A just, holy God must deal with it. The problem could reoccur. Very often with adultery it does again and again and again. The liar lies. The person that steals, steals again. Sin gets worse. Sin is real. God's holiness is real. The only way it can be dealt with is some transformation. There needs to be a change and I can't bring that through my own life. And this man who goes to Christ, his theology, what can I do, do, do? That's where he'd got it all wrong. He can't have eternal life based upon what he could do? Would the wife believe the husband if he did a few acts? No, she needs to see he's changed. He's a different person. He needs to seek forgiveness. He needs his guilt to be removed. He needs the stain to be removed. He needs to be reconciled with his wife. He can't do that on his own. There's two people involved. She has to be willing. She has to forgive. She has to know that he won't go back to his old ways and that he desires a fresh start. Well, let's think of Christ's challenges to this man. As I say, there's four sections, really. And I just pause before we look at them. I want you to notice the tenderness in which Christ deals with this man. If you or I were dealing with somebody that came up to you and said these things, would you have approached it this way? It's absolute divine genius. He breaks down the man's problems into sections, and he doesn't hit it head on with a sledgehammer. No, he gently, kindly, courteously, respectfully, he accepts that the man has got a good desire and he's earnest and he's sincere and he's come to the right place and he desires eternal life. That's good. But he needs to help the man. So he asks a question and you could misunderstand this. Here's the first section. He says, good master, what shall I do? And 
Christ says to him, Why do you call me good? Now don't misunderstand. Christ was not saying he wasn't good. But his thinking and his argument goes a bit like this. If Christ is good, if I am perfect, which he is, there's so much evidence for that, then if Christ is good, Christ must be God, which he is. And because there's no other good except for God, then do you know you're dealing with God? You've come face to face with the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. You call me good, you're dealing with God. You're dealing with divine things. That's what he was saying to the man in a kind, gracious way. Why do you call me good? There's logic there. Psalm 14, verse 3, there's no one good. So he says to the man, in effect, I'm God. You're approaching the one who's got the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Be careful. Listen up. The first challenge to this man, you're dealing with your maker, your creator, you're dealing with your judge. Did the man realize it? I don't know. Well, let's look at the second challenge. He says to the man, having revealed who he's dealing with, he said, well, if your theology is based upon good works, then you better keep all the commandments. There is a way to get to heaven, but it means you need to be perfect. Keep every single commandment. So he's going to break the Ten Commandments down into two. And he mentions the first six in the next discourse. Why callest thou me good? There's no, none good but one, and that is God. But if thou wilt enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? I'm a Jew, I work in the synagogue, I'm a ruler. How can I keep all 620 of them? When you add up all the Levitical laws, which... And so Christ says, well, let's just start with six. And let's test your theology. Let's test whether you can get to heaven just keeping those six. And so he says to the man, young man, what about these six? And he tells him the six commandments. It's the second tablet of the law, the Ten Commandments, four about God, six about our relationship with one another. Thou shalt not murder, that's to do with relationships and not killing happiness. These are not individual narrow sins, these are huge families with cousins and aunties and uncles in each one of them. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You're not to be unfaithful. You're to be loyal. Thou shalt not steal, and so on. 
So he challenges the young man. And his view of himself is so misinformed. All these have I kept. Let's pause again. Do you know, I think most people, you speak to them on the street, and initially they'll say, well, I'm essentially a good person. I've not done this, I've not done that. That's to misunderstand what Christ is saying. You've got to keep all of God's laws if you're to rely on any of God's laws to save you. And of course we can't. None of us can. None of us has kept one of the commandments today. We've broken every single one of God's laws today because our understanding of sin is so narrow. Do you know it said, the closer you get to God, the more you understand your sin. This young man, he seems to have a lot going for him, but he's far from God because he confesses that he is righteous. I've kept them from when I was a child. And here's the question. I've kept them, but there's a gap. There's something missing in my life. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. If I could grasp it, Savior, Lord, Teacher, help me. What is it? I work in the synagogue and I don't know about eternal life. Is there a chapel goer here tonight? You could be the same as this young man. There's many things to commend you. You've understood a lot. You've understood there is life after death. You've understood that you need to go to Christ. You've understood there's something missing. But you still haven't grasped it. So, the man comes and says, look at my certificates. Murder, here's my certificate. Just imagine a carpenter going for a job interview. He goes to the man on the building site, maybe the woman, I don't know, and he says, look, here's my city and guild in carpentry. Here's my certificate. Can I have the job? You'd be a fool, wouldn't you? Just to take him at his word, surely you'd say, here's a saw, here's a chisel, now do something, show me. And you know that's effectively what the Lord Jesus does to this man. He knows he's not kept the law. He knows the man is ignorant in spiritual things. And so he asks this question, what do I lack? The Lord Jesus in verse 21, he says, if you'll be perfect, if you'll be complete, if the gap will be filled, then I'm going to test you. Here's a saw. Here's a piece of wood. What are you going to make? Are you a real carpenter? Or have you just got these dreamed up qualifications in your hand? You're not really a Christian. You don't have heart religion. 
You don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ says to him, okay, here's the acid test. And this is true of every Christian. If I was to take everything out of your life, like Job, your wife, your home, your car, empty your bank account, your job, all of it taken away, would you still have peace? Would you still have joy? Would you still have the most precious thing in life, the pearl of great price. We heard a testimony earlier this week, and this young person said, I hope the person doesn't mind me mentioning this, that they remember a time, having grown up in a Christian home, a loving Christian home, they remember seeing a friend The person had all the head knowledge and could no doubt say the Ten Commandments and read the Bible and everything else. But this friend that they got to know, they spoke of knowing Christ, walking with Christ, a relationship with Christ. This was felt, it was real, it was known. This young man, he didn't have any of those things. So the Lord wants to see. Let me take all your riches away. He knew that this would go right to the core of the problem. Here's the test. He won't do this to all of us, no doubt. But if the Lord was to take everything you hold dear, physically, materially, Would you still have joy and peace? What happens to the young man? He goes away sorrowful. This is a sad tale. I believe Christ sees the young man and after he's challenged him in these several ways, Christ was sorrowful as well. A young man goes sorrowfully. Christ goes away Sorrowfully, what are we to make of this? Christ has said, come and follow me. This was the test of his repentance. You see, if you're to love Christ, you can't have him as third on your list or second on your list. He must be above rubies. He must be beyond measure. He's got to be of the highest value. He's got to be your closest friend. He's got to be the only one in your life. Is that true? Deep down in your heart, if the tsunami of life washed everything away apart from your soul, would your soul have Christ, which is much better? Would you have Eternal life which can never be taken away. He went away sorrowful. The call to repentance. He was probably a good man. Outwardly, no reason to doubt that he hadn't kept 
outwardly the commandments, but it was his thought life. It was his heart life. The bits you don't see beyond the suit. Christ knew what this man's heart was like. He was covetous. He loved stuff. He loved things more than Christ. You see how grievous that is to the God who made you and the God who made everything for you to love the creature more than the creator. That's idolatry. That's what this man's sin was, idolatry. Putting things before God. What's missing in your life? Is there somebody tonight and there's a gap A gap that no one else can fill. This is the words of Christ. Go, sell, leave. Ambitions, dreams, the things you hold on to. Oh, it's a bad example, but you look at the people that have Harley Davidsons. You know those bikes all over the world? There's a Harley Davidson fan club. They go to the rallies and they dream about the shining metal. Look at this and five carburettors and six that, I don't know. But is that your life? You've got more love for something you can put in your hands than that's in your heart. This poor young man, he goes away Sorrowful. Where does he go? He goes into the world. Where he's come from. Where the gap couldn't be filled. Why does he go? Because he loved his stuff more than Christ. Christ tells his disciples how hard it will be for somebody who's got to get to heaven. Because they've got to let go. Let go of everything. Oh, the Lord doesn't want us to get rid of home and everything else, but you need to be willing to. Would you say no? Would you leave all? That's what the disciples did. They left their business. They left their means of an income. And they followed the Lord Jesus. Here's the call of the gospel, verse 21. And we close with this. He says to him, Go, sell, come, follow. Is the gospel more complicated than that? Go, sell, come, and follow me. Have you done that? Is your religion chapel going? Is your religion on the outside decent, respectful? You know lots of things, but deep down you know there's a missing gap. You haven't left all and followed Christ. Do you know the one that you need to follow is worth much, much more than anything in this life? The Lord Jesus calls you, come, Follow me. My burden is light and easy. My yoke is gentle. He says, come with all his heart.
He pleads with you. The young man, look at him, that interaction. It's such a good conversation. It's about spiritual things, eternal things. But the man went back to the world. Don't do that. Go and follow Christ. Go and leave all and follow him. Let's pray together. Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, again we feel the tenderness, the kindness, the mercy that Christ does not deal with us according to our sin. He doesn't push us away. He doesn't come with a vindictive, judgmental approach. He is winsome. He is gentle. He shows us and exposes our greatest need and then calls us to come and follow him. Or may there be someone tonight who feels that gap and need that only Christ can fill and there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.